It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome live here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach radio show. Uh, This is March 5th, and I'm coming to you live from Key West, Florida for today's show. And uh, we're trying a little bit of new technology, so if you go over to uh, tedhart.com, click on radio links, you'll be able to find the live stream video version of today's show. So you can uh, see me live uh, over uh, uh, at the uh, the link over at tedhart.com. Again, click on uh, radio links, and you'll see some of the the, uh, the uh, beautiful scenery behind me. So I thought I would, uh, uh, I'm not sure there will be a whole lot more exciting um, to see the live video today, but you'll see some uh, beautiful uh, scenery from uh, from Key West here. Uh, we've got a, a very busy show uh, here today. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the show and those of you who are new, welcome. Uh, as the announcer said, this is a live call-in show, and you can dial 347-324-3080 uh, to ask a question of our page two expert. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a number of people in the chat room. You can also email me your question at tedhart at tedhart.com. With that, it's time to start the show, and we always start with page one news. First up here on page one news is uh, today's news here on the Nonprofit Coach that we are uh, coming to you live using Ustream.tv. You can find the link over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. We will also be recording uh, today's show uh, in video as well as audio podcast, uh, so you'll be able to watch the show in addition to listen to the show uh, after the show today. Next up here in the radio links comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. We want to draw your attention to the database that they provide on how America gives that allows you to drill down uh, as far as to a zip code uh, for statistics on who is giving, um, how they are giving, and what the statistics look for in the United States. The giving profile of the United States in this particular database is $135.8 billion uh, in uh, contributions with the median contribution of $2,564, and the percentage of income that is given is 4.7%. So bravo to the Give 5 folks are getting uh, close to to that amount. So you can find that over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links along with all of the news for today and the archive news links are the very best links uh, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, that are available for all of 2012 and 2011 over at tedhearts.com. Next up today in the radio links is the showdown uh, between Twitter and Instagram. For those folks uh, who are using these services for photos, as you may know, 
it's been about three months since Instagram killed its support for Twitter cards, uh, and yet the uh, the uh, war continues between the two. And in an Instagram or in in an info uh, uh, graphic today, uh, you'll be able to find in the radio links today the difference between the two. Now, keep in mind that in the top six um, uh, pillars of success for nonprofit organizations, we do have Twitter. We have not incorporated uh, Instagram into our overall recommendations for nonprofits unless you are very photo-driven. If you are very photo-driven, uh, then you definitely want to look at this infographic and find out more information about which services you should be using and how social partnerships can affect your brand engagement. And that's all over in the radio links today. Uh, look for Twitter versus Instagram to show down in an infographic. And that's available for you today. Um, we've covered several um, giving days, uh, concentrated periods of time uh, that particular communities will encourage uh, the giving to nonprofit organizations. Today in the radio links, we're covering the latest of these, which was in western New York and Buffalo. Uh, we have covered and had guests here on the show from uh, Seattle and other communities. Uh, bravo to the folks um, over at uh, the United Way of Buffalo and Erie County who raised $72,549 for 182 different nonprofit organizations uh, throughout Erie and Niagara County. Let me just note that uh, I am uh, uh, broadcasting live here from, uh, from Key West, and I am uh, showing you the, uh, the video feed here. Uh, we, do have, uh, we may have some background noise uh, from time to time, so uh, uh, please just understand that that's part of doing the show live and showing you the beautiful scenery uh, out the door here in uh, Key West. Uh, so with that, it's uh, time for us to now move over to our page to guests. Our page two expert today is Amy Eisenstein, CFRE. She's a repeat guest here on the Nonprofit Coach because she's been so popular in the past. She's a fundraising consultant for local and national nonprofits. She's raised millions of dollars through event planning, grant writing, capital campaigns, and major gift solicitations. Her no-nonsense approach in fundraising yields big results for her clients and her followers. One of the topics she'll be talking about today is her brand new book, Raising More with Less. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, Amy Eisenstein. Thanks, Ted. I'm delighted to be back. Amy, you uh, you always uh, help nonprofits, and one of the things I, I, I particularly like about your approach is um, your ability to speak to even small nonprofits, that not just those who have big money to invest, but those that have big dreams and need big money to be able to succeed. And your approach helps all sizes of organizations, and I want to thank you for that. Um, let's start off with a, a brief introduction of you and your firm, and then we do uh, have a caller that uh, would like to get in and ask a question of you right away. Uh, so, Amy, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and your firm. Oh, well, thanks. My firm is called TriPoint Fundraising, and I do pride myself in a no-nonsense approach to helping boards and nonprofits of all sizes achieve better fundraising results, particularly in the areas of individual giving um, and all that that entails. What I just uh, realized, again, uh, uh, Amy, where we've got this new technology today of being able to show the, the video feed for today uh, is that the folks who are listening to uh, or watching the video feed uh, are going to need to watch and listen to the podcast because they're not going to be able to hear you over on the video uh, feed. So just a, a note to anyone who is picking up the, uh, uh, the video feed, I'm going to put my shades on because I'm here in Key West uh, just uh, to, uh, to get in the mood here. Um, but uh, I do want to make note to everyone that uh, you do want to make sure that you can hear Amy, and Amy will be available on the podcast. So, again, Amy, welcome back here, and uh, uh, congratulations on the wonderful work of your firm. I'm going to jump right to our first caller uh, today because he uh, did want to get right in and ask a question of you early on in the show. Uh, Bob from New York is here live. Bob, you're on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart, and you're live with Amy Eisenstein. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Uh, Ms. Eisenstein? Yes, My name please is Bob, call, uh, out of call New me York. Amy. Uh, Amy? Okay. Oh, hi, Amy. 
my name is Bob, and I'm calling actually from a, from a nonprofit in New York. Um, in any case, uh, we annually, um, for the past oh, three years or so, have given a fundraising golf outing, which has generally turned out to be uh, relatively successful. And actually, my manager asked me to, to call in to uh, find out if you had any suggestions as to uh, what can be done uh, in connection with something like uh, that event, uh, as well as uh, uh, any other suggestions you might have um, for um, fundraising you know, that could be um, manageable and effective at the same time, because uh, it, it does, it's supposed to do two things, uh, to help raise funds and also to heighten exposure. Sure. So. All right. Well, yes, Bob, I do have some suggestions. One is um, my my new book, as Ted mentioned, Raising More with Less, is full of ideas for small nonprofits of how to do more, th- uh, more fundraising activities, not necessarily events, uh, more strategically and smarter so that you raise more money. So I'll just throw that out there. But with regard to your golf outing, the two things that I – know to be true to help organizations raise significantly more money surrounding their special events is one having a committee a strong committee to help with fundraising Mm -hmm. so i like to joke around sometimes that often organizations have events committees that are money spending committees so they'll help you uh, spend money on a venue, on food, on entertainment, and all sorts of things. They love doing the event planning, but they're mm-hmm. really not helping raise money. So my question to you and to everybody listening is, do you have an event committee that's actually helping with fundraising as opposed to just spending the organization's money on event planning or planning a great party or golf outing? So that's one thing. The second thing is events uh, rise and fall on sponsorship. You may know this already. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the goal of the fundraising committee members is to help bring in sponsors. Okay. So if you have sufficient sponsors, your event's going to succeed in terms of revenue. And the question is, one of the key questions to ask yourself, are our sponsorship levels set appropriately for the resources in the community and the people on our committee to help uh, solicit and secure. Um, and I go into some suggestions on how you might uh, determine those. Do you look at other events or, or um, are, there, are there scales that you look at so that the organization is appropriately pricing their special yeah. events? Yeah, I think, one, looking at other organizations in the community and what they're able to do certainly is one way to look at it. But the real important factor is who does your organization have around the table on your committee and on your board? Because your board members and your committee members with connections to sponsorship opportunities, whether those sponsorships are coming from corporations or from individuals, the connections are key. So if you have people sitting around the table, if you have a CEO from a local corporation that has access to a sponsorship at $25,000, then great. Mm-hmm. You know, that is one of your levels. If you have a whole bunch of grassroots uh, community activist people in, around your table who probably don't have access perhaps to higher-level sponsorships, then maybe your sponsorships are in the $1,000 range or the mm-hmm. $2,000 range. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You want your board members and your committee members to be successful soliciting sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I say in the book, your top-level sponsorship should be so high that if you get it, you go running down the hall with excitement. And if you get (laughs) one or two, you're really successful. And if you don't get any, it doesn't really matter. Nobody cares or knows that you didn't get any at your top level. Mm -hmm. You should really be able to get two or three or four at your middle level range, and then at your bottom level, you should be able to get five or more. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can do this, you know you set your sponsorships at the right uh, ranges. Mm -hmm. um, So hopefully that helps. Is there a balance between sponsorship and paid uh, registrations that you look for in terms of your your overall budget? Uh, Is there a balance between those two that you look for to be determined to be successful? I don't know if I would say that there's a balance, um, but I would say that 
the problem with depending too heavily on ticket sales is that most of ticket sales go to cover the costs of the expenses of the events, right? And so if you set your price, whether it's for golf or dinner gala, you know, at $100 or $150, that's going to pay the fees for food and the golf course and the venue and whatever else. Um, and so you're not making a lot of money on the ticket sales. It's it's an important thing to have a lot of people there so you can share your mission and it can be a great event. Uh, but the money really comes in through sponsorships. So you want to make sure to have a lot of them. Okay, that's uh, interesting. We uh, do have a development committee um, that works exclusively really on fundraising and, uh, of course, events like this. But uh, the most of their focus is on fundraising uh, from all sources. Okay. Good. <laughs> we'll take anything we can get. <laughs> yeah, but you, Bob, you have one committee um, that does, helps you with all your fundraising, not a separate committee for your golf tournament. Um, well, uh, uh, out of that uh, committee, you know, certainly comes uh, a few people who will actually uh, work on the committee. So out of development, I should say, uh, comes a few people who will work on the uh, tournament along with uh, several other uh, employees from various departments and a lot of volunteers uh, here at the organization. I wouldn't say that we were we were small, by the way. We would have to be somewhere in the middle, I would guess, <laughs> or close to it, maybe. Amy, I, I, I think you mentioned an interesting uh, way for, for organizations to sort of judge how they're putting together an event like this. From your perspective, the ticket prices charged for registration should be roughly or about what it costs you to actually put on the event. So that's paying the fees. And the sponsorship dollars is essentially the money that you're actually raising. You may raise a little bit on the tickets, but the balance there is is to make sure that you're covering your costs on the tickets. That's right. And and that's really important because I've gone into some organizations where they think they're setting the ticket price at seventy five or whatever it is, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, and they are surprised to learn that they're not even covering their costs. Wow. Um and they're losing money per 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 person. Um, but also there's lots of organizations who think that they make their money on tickets and maybe they're only making $10 a head. Even if they're making $50 a head, you know, how many people do you have to have in the room to make a few thousand dollars? Um, mm-hmm. So even if your ticket price is significantly more than your cost, you're still not making this, um, you know, a real good amount of money unless you have sponsorships. On well, and there's a, a number of organizations that I'm aware of that, that look at it backwards from what you're suggesting. I think your suggestion is a good one, uh, where they look at the sponsorship dollars covering the expense, and they look for the ticket to be the fundraising. And mm. in your estimation, they've got that backwards. Absolutely. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's fine uh-huh. for you to say you want a corporation to cover the cost of the food, and that's what they're sponsoring. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the internal budgeting, looking at it the way I discussed, I think is you know a better calculation. So you look at the sponsorship for profitability. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. But we did have it reversed, I think. Well, this is why we have experts here on the nonprofit coach to help. Uh, uh, folks learn, you know, how can you be maximum success. It's not to say that, uh, Amy, I'm, I'm sure you're not saying that you can't be successful doing it the other way, mm-hmm. but by putting it in terms of, of the direction that you're looking at, you're probably more likely to raise bigger dollars. That's, That's right. Right. It, you know, it works the same as any other traditional gift pyramid. The big sponsors are the ones that are going to bring you the most revenue in the end. So if you need three $10,000 sponsors, you know, that's where you're going to get your money, not from lots of ticket sales, low-level ticket sales, which is the base of any traditional fundraising pyramid. So you've got to look at the big donors first as the way that you're going to raise the money. But you also want to make sure that you're being careful not to underprice the registration fee so that you're cutting into your sponsorship dollars, which should be your profit. Sure. Okay. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Bob, terrific uh, question. I, I, I uh, hope that Amy's been helpful to you. Did you have any other uh, questions since you've uh, uh, got the expert Amy Eisenstein all to yourself and uh, uh, live here on the Nonprofit Coach? Well, I think that one of the things that we're going to have to do is to arrange to get your book. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. You should mention that, Bob. If you go to the radio links today at tedhart.com, click on radio links, 
you'll find a link directly to the book and the ability to uh, to buy Amy's book. So I would certainly encourage all of my listeners today to go to that link and get a copy of uh, of Amy's book. Okay. And uh, and it's available where? Uh, you know, at, at general bookstores? Uh, I'm calling out of New York, uh, New York City, in fact. So um, I'm just wondering, is it available like in a Barnes & Noble or what have you? Uh, Ted, are you um, pointing people to either Amazon or to the Charity Channel site? I'm actually pointing them right to your website, uh, oh. and uh, and you have it right there. So perfect. Uh, we're, okay. We're taking people right to your website. Okay. Okay. That's so great. you have your own so, website. Yes, and uh-huh. so you can, uh, but it's available on Amazon if you or if you go to my website, which is just TriPointFundraising.com. Um, you can either get it through the publisher, which is Charity Channel Press, or through Amazon.com. Okay, because I think that that would be a, a good investment. Perfect. And again, and, uh, if, you, if you can't find that link, you can just go to tedhart.com, click on radio links, and you'll find it right there in today's radio link. Okay. I, one quite quickly, I had asked earlier, since I, I have to get to a meeting um, in about the next five minutes, uh, I can pick up the show. It's going to be rebroadcast or uh, recorded uh, for rebroadcast? Yeah, the show is immediately podcast in its entirety immediately following the show. So any portion of the show that you might miss, You'll be able to go to tedhart.com, click on radio, uh, and you'll be able to listen to the show live at any time. And that's, of course, free of charge at any time. That's fantastic. So at least I can pick up where where we left off. Pick up right where we left off. Bob, thank you for being our guest today on The Nonprofit Coach uh, here today live with our Page 2 expert, Amy Eisenstein. That's Bob from New York, our guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Amy, I'm back with... uh, uh, you live here, and I want to uh, get a little bit more into uh, this new book, Raising More with Less. What's the, uh, uh, the the premise behind that, obviously, is, as the, the title says, Raise More with Less, but is there a focus on how you pull that together for organizations, and is this for any size organization or just smaller ones? So this is an overview of all different types of fundraising. Um, It's how to set up a new development office or improve the one you have, and it is focused on the smaller development shop. Now, that can mean anything from an organization that's just getting started and the executive director is doing all the fundraising to a one- or two-person development shop, Um, and that includes often affiliates of national nonprofits. I've worked with many organizations uh, that are national nonprofits, and the affiliates all operate independently as small development shops. So that's really um, who this book is for. It's an overview of fundraising for people who are new to the field or people who want to refresh on the basics. And, and you cover, as you said, all the, the basic types of fundraising. Uh, what we're going to do, Amy, is we're going to just take a, uh, a quick um, little break here. And uh, when we come back, uh, I'd like you to start breaking down some of uh, the types of fundraising that you cover in your book and give some of the, the tips so that uh, we're, I, I guess, letting the whistle of, uh, of our listeners today but also giving them a, a good insight into the kind of work that uh, that they'll be able to do once they're uh, they're uh, uh, done reading your book, and of course, we do encourage everyone uh, to read that book. So, Amy, we'll be uh, we'll be right back after this break. Okay. I want to draw your attention to the upcoming shows here on the Nonprofit Coach. We have a couple of really special shows that we'd like you to mark on your calendar. Next week, March 12th, 12 noon Eastern, is our big third anniversary show. Absolutely amazing to me that uh, that the show has uh, grown to the extent that it has. Um, this, the top ten podcasts, some of them uh, are well over 13,000 um, listeners. Uh, the show has tripled in size in just the last year, um, and now we're coming up on our third anniversary. So I want to thank all of uh, my listeners uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show for your loyalty. Uh, and I want to thank all the fantastic guests that we've had over the last three years that have brought their insight uh, and experience uh, to those who may not be able to afford uh, the direct access to the um, expertise that we bring here on the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, it's always free of charge 
at tedhart.com. Then on March 19th, uh, again, a very special show. We're going to be live at the Grants Managers Network Conference in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, and uh, we're going to uh, have a uh, number of uh, guests connected to the Grants Managers Network, so you'll be able to learn all about the work that they do. Uh, so if there's anyone uh, uh, on, uh, on the, uh, the uh, listeners uh, today that are interested in grants, uh, you're going to want to learn from these experts, and that's on uh, March 19th. So uh, make sure that you mark your calendar for the next couple of the very special shows uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach. And we're going to uh, head back to our terrific page two expert today, Amy Eisenstein. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Amy, we're back live here on the Nonprofit Coach. Our uh, guest today uh, is Amy Eisenstein, CFRE, fundraising consultant for local and nonprofit organizations. Uh, Amy, walk us through the kinds of fundraising activities you cover in your new book, Raising More with Less. All right. Well, Chapter 1 starts out with what I call eight simple steps to create an outstanding development office or supercharge the one you have. Um, So it's about creating something from scratch or making sure that you do have the infrastructure and setup to have a successful development office and plan. It covers everything from the basics, really basics, which is recruiting board members um, and making sure that you have 100% participation. Unfortunately, I work with so many nonprofits that struggle with even board member uh, giving, which we talk about as 100% participation. And so why that's important and how it's important uh, and how to get it. Um, I talk about identifying and meeting with your best donors as an important piece of the fundraising puzzle. I also think that lots of nonprofits, especially smaller ones, are very focused on grant writing and event planning, and they really neglect some of their biggest and best donors. So uh, do you want me to give you more examples? Yeah, well, I I love the specificity that you're giving, and I think that um, for listeners who have uh, been around a, a while might be a little bit more seasoned. It's always good to remind ourselves of the basics of what makes a good uh, development office. But there are a lot of folks out there that either have very small startups or, or, or really kind of restart and, as you said, supercharge um, the the development office uh, that that you actually have. So I, I think it's really good to go through um, that kind of basic information because. My view always is you really can't grow um, and and look for the innovation if you don't have the basics in place. Yeah. So two the two other two of the other steps are visit your own website and make a donation. It's unbelievable. Every time I start with a new client, I go online and try and make a donation. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, um, and I want to see. How am I acknowledged? And am I acknowledged immediately, you know, through an auto-reply online? Uh, Do I get a letter in the mail? How easy or hard is it for me to make a donation? Um, Do they have a recurring monthly giving program? Those type of things. So I think lots of people who've set up their online giving program a year, two, three years ago, honestly don't even know how it works anymore. So annually, go online, make yourself a donation, and see how the system works. Um, In the same sort of line, I say track a donation. So send a a donation by check. Who gets the mail when it comes into the office? How is the person acknowledged and thanked? How are they entered into the database? Is anybody spot-checking that um, data entry? Those type of things. So so basics, but really important things of how to and, make sure and you're... Do, and often do get missed. It's amazing to me uh, how many organizations, you know, have checks that don't get cashed on a timely basis, thank you letters that don't go out. And, and those, those seem like such basic things, but really can change the dynamic and ruin um, a fledgling re, uh, relationship with a donor if you don't get those basics right. That's right. Um, if we have time for one more, you know, one That's of the, the points, 
is um, planning a board retreat. You know, many of the organizations I come into contact with, whether I'm speaking engagement or I'm consulting for, they haven't had a board retreat in a couple of years. Or of the ones that do, all they focus on at the board retreat is strategic planning. Now, I'm not belittling strategic planning in any way, but I think that any good board retreat should be 50% planning and 50% fundraising. Um, and it's amazing to me that so many organizations don't have an annual board retreat, and of the ones that do, many of them don't even have fundraising on the agenda. I think it's talk important. Talk about that because I, I think most of our listeners are are very familiar, at least with the concept, whether they've done it right or not, or the concept of having a, a board retreat and, and talking about strategy. But but what is this 50% of fundraising that you would discuss at such a retreat? Yeah, well, I think that one of the issues that lots of nonprofits face is that they know their board members should be helping with fundraising, but they're not providing any training or tools on a regular basis to make sure that their board members are successful. So I think at a very bare minimum, once a year in a board retreat, uh, going over some of the fundraising how-tos, what's expected of board members, and how they should be successful. I go through the four stages of fundraising, identification, you know, identifying prospective donors, cultivating donors, building relationships with them, soliciting them, and stewarding them, thanking them or following up. And in each category, I talk about different ways that board members can get involved in the fundraising process. Anything from signing thank you letters and making thank you calls, to bringing someone out to coffee with the executive director, to bringing somebody on a tour. So it's not just about um, training them in the ask, but how can they get involved in all levels of fundraising in all different types of ways? Yeah, and Amy, you're you're you know, you're you're talking about you know in, in, in integrating uh, fundraising into these board retreats. But one of the things I find really interesting that I think a lot of folks may miss is that. Retreats are not just about sort of strategic thinking and talking about the future, and uh, but there is an element of training and, and helping the board both learn how to work together, but also how the concepts of fundraising work. Absolutely. And, and, and I, my experience has been that's often very much missed, um, and the board members are not properly um, prepared for a retreat um, in that these are the things that can happen during a retreat. They expect if they come at all, uh, they come to to sort of think about the future and sort of muse about the future of the organization um, as opposed to making it sort of a very concrete educational opportunity as well. That's right. And I think what's frustrating both for fundraising staff members and or professionals and for board members themselves is that often we fall into a trap of thinking that just because somebody's a professional, a, a salesperson um, or an attorney or something, that they know how to fundraise. But it's not something that people are inherently uh, comfortable with or know how to do, and we have to provide training. Well, I, I absolutely agree. I've often said, you know, good, good board members are not born, they're raised. That's right. Uh, and, and someone has to do that. And, and even if someone has served on a board um, before, it doesn't mean that it was a good experience. It doesn't mean that it was a positive working relationship with the staff. And as a matter of fact, they may have come from uh, bringing a lot of baggage of, of a lot of animosity between the board uh, and uh, the chief executive or the, the chief staff of the organization. Um, and that's never a working uh, environment um, when, when you have that, uh, uh, that sort of approach. But if you think that's the norm, then you tend to create that kind of dynamic uh, because you expect it to be there. Right. Yep, good so point. Give us, give us a sense from your perspective of what is um, an optimum outcome of an annual retreat. So this isn't something that you just do every three to five years. This isn't just sort of strategic planning. You're viewing this as a, as a regular get-together. So is this um, focused on team building, board and staff team building, um, or is this focused on board-to-board -board team building? Yeah, I think um, there's a variety of things of goals for an annual retreat, and every organization has to figure what they are um, out for themselves. So ideally you have a full day 
Often, because of people's busy schedules, it gets cut to a half day. Uh, I think it is really important to have team-building exercises, whether it is for board members to get to know each other better and be able to work together, and a few key staff members. Um, Also, there is a component, obviously, of strategic planning that needs to happen in this type of setting. It's It's the one time of year that board members get together where it's not the typical board meeting. Um, And so there needs to be a component of planning, whether you're creating a new strategic plan or you're reviewing one that's in existence. And then, of course, there's the the fundraising and the training component. Um, It's a unique opportunity to really engage your board members. And I think what the key is for them to be able to leave with an action plan. So I like to have board members write down three to five things that they'll do in the short term, maybe in the next two to three months, and in the long term over the course of the next year, that they are going to do to help with fundraising. And that's a very interesting concept. So the the board members are are sort of pledging to themselves and pledging to each other that I am actually going to accomplish something in two to three months and then maybe something over the next 12 months. Right. And, And if you do this on an annual basis, uh, presumably that gives you an opportunity for the board members to sort of check in on their own pledges. Absolutely. Um, and I also encourage something I call a board member expectation form. It's just a one-page sheet that each board member fills out annually, that, and it talks about what they're going to do. And there's opportunities for them to write in things and check off things. And it includes everything from attending meetings and making a personal contribution to helping with fundraising and serving on committees. And then every year you can, you know, check back in with them and say, okay, what on this list did you do? What didn't you do? You know, do you still want to be on the board, Um, et cetera? It's a great tool. That that really does sound like a fair way uh, for board members to come together and hold each other accountable without – sort of overstaying your welcome, because the other part that you don't want to do is burn out board members. Right, that's true. And um, I have actually a sample of the board member expectation form in the book. That's terrific. Amy, we're going to take a a quick break, and when we come back, um, I'd like to ask you uh, about the Major Gifts Challenge. What is it, uh, and uh, and how can my listeners uh, learn more about the Major Gifts Challenge? And we'll be right back live here on The Nonprofit Coach with Amy Eisenstein. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles and work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, but Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time from any place on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, 
go to google.com slash apps. And we're back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Check out Google Apps. I also always encourage my listeners to check out google.com forward slash nonprofits for all of the uh, free services that are available to nonprofit organizations through Google.com. We're back here live with Amy Eisenstein here on the Nonprofit Coach. Amy Eisenstein, CFRE, is a fundraising consultant for local and national nonprofit organizations. Here talking uh, today about her new book, Raising More with Less. But coming back from uh, the break here, Amy, I was wondering if you could talk to us about what is the major gifts challenge. Well, it is actually something I'm really excited about this year. The Major Gifts Challenge is a year-long project I've committed to on my blog to help nonprofit professionals raise major gifts either for the first time or in a more strategic way. Um, And I just started it in January, so it's easy to catch up if anybody wants to join. Um, And I like to think of it as making a New Year's resolution in public with accountability. So basically, it's free. Um, It's just reading my blog posts and following through on the suggestions for a year. Um, And if you commit online, then you've just said, I am going to raise major gifts this year. Um, And then I I actually help people in the comments whenever they're having trouble. So so they can come and they can ask questions. They can share their successes in terms of what's what's happened. And so this is sort of a – a group uh, opportunity to learn from each other, learn from you, and to celebrate major gifts. Exactly. I'm taking people step-by-step through the process of getting ready for and soliciting major gifts, and I've committed, uh, I post twice a month only, so people just need to come and read twice a month. Um, Commit. I've asked people to commit two hours a week um, to taking action on the action items in the blog post, and I am telling them that they will definitely raise major gifts this year um, if they are able to follow through and commit two hours a week. Do you think that you're, you're, that you're doing this major gift challenge because you find that so many nonprofits have it on their to-do list or quite, don't quite get there? Uh, because I, I find that to be the case that so many organizations tend to get bogged down in uh, maybe annual giving or special events, and they always mean to get to major gifts uh, but either they don't know how or it's on the back burner or they never quite get to it because they're short-staffed. Yeah, I think it's true, all of the above. I think the key is, though, that most nonprofit professionals in smaller organizations or one-person development shops haven't had the exposure or experience with, non, uh, with major gifts, and so they just don't have the courage or know-how uh, to get started, and I just see this as the encouragement um, with a little bit of extra know-how help uh, to to take the plunge and do it this year. Well, because it can, can be somewhat daunting for um, a fundraiser who maybe doesn't have the experience in major gift fundraising because it is a much more personal approach to fundraising. It has to be because there, it has to be the, the alignment of the donor's wishes and dreams for their money to the needs of the charitable organization. And I think for for some fundraisers, it just seems easier or less risky to send out a direct mail and see if a check comes in than to actually research and go through the process of identifying a major gift prospect and then moving them through the cultivation process to actually being able to successfully solicit. That's right. And I think that one of the... um myths out there is that major gifts are really affiliated and associated with capital campaigns. And I want to bust up that myth that annual annual fund can really be supercharged and supported by some major gifts. And so um, depending on where you are at your organization, a major gift honestly may be $1,000 or $5,000 or $100,000 um, and I have people participating at all of those levels, at their organizations, maybe $1,000 is a major gift or $100,000 is a major gift. And, and, and actually, your annual giving campaign can't really flourish and grow if you aren't maximizing the gifts that are raised, and you're never going to meet your potential um, if you're simply doing special events or direct mail. Not to say that those aren't important to building the base, uh, but the payoff for successfully 
uh, cultivating those, um, you know, what I call donors with training wheels who are getting to know you um, is to then allow them and give them the opportunity to make that further investment. That's right. And, and to miss that opportunity is to actually have your annual fund not meet its goals. Right, absolutely. And so many organizations operate, and their whole annual fund is about direct mail, maybe a little bit of online giving, uh, events and grants, and that is it. And they don't do any face-to-face or personal solicitations. Yeah, and, and, and actually, I, I'll, I'll suggest that the better that you get at major gift fundraising, the, the more likely it is that you'll see more success in grant writing as well. Yeah, for sure. Grants and foundation funders and corporate funders need to be treated with uh, personal touch as well. Exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's really where you start creating the magic of, of fundraising is when you're really able to uh, bring that, those relationships to your organization as opposed to sort of arm's-length fundraising where everything is done by mail or everything is done by phone. Um, and, and, and I, I don't want to put those forms of fundraising down because they're important to an overall integrated uh, program, but to miss that personal uh, approach and the ability to build those relationships is really to stunt the growth of your organization's fundraising. Right. What is the balance that, that, that you think um, when you're, you're uh, urging uh, my listeners to join you in the Major Gift Challenge um, what's the balance um, in what you would consider to be either a, a well-designed or a mature uh, uh, annual fund uh, between major gifts and other forms of major gift, of uh, annual fund giving? Right. Well, um, you know, as you know, and as probably most people have heard, uh, the Giving USA statistic that 80% of donations come from individuals and 20% come from corporations and foundations. And I think that most organizations that are small are operating almost at the opposite of that statistic. Exactly. So, you know, 80% of their money comes from corporations and foundations through grants and events, and only 20% or so of their dollars come from individuals, and mostly through direct mail from individuals. And right. so I I don't think that most organizations in that situation will be able to flip that statistic, but I push them towards the 50-50 mark. So I say, well, can you get your individual giving up to 50% of your fundraising revenue? Um, I don't know if that answered your question. Well, it, it, it does, but it also points out the, the importance of putting that on the table as a concern for the organization because if you are, as you said, flipped and that 80% of your money is not coming from individuals, but instead is coming from corporations and foundations. One of the biggest problems that organizations have is that those dollars are far less likely to be renewable. Right. not renewable over a three- to five- or ten-year period of time, whereas successfully building strong relationships with individuals, they certainly can give and, and will give for three, five, ten, or more years, and no corporation or foundation is going to leave you in their will because they don't have one. <laughs> Right. And what I like to say is that for those organizations who have most of their money coming in from corporations and foundations, the good news is that there's a huge opportunity for fundraising in front of you, and you just need to get up and take it. Exactly. And and so this challenge is meant to help um, get people uh, to focus on this uh, for uh, the next 12 months. Uh, and so is your goal for them to start off by doing that analysis in terms of um, what percentage um, is coming from individuals and that one of the measures of success, whether it's purely a major gift supporter or not, is to move that bar closer to 50-50 or, or hopefully move that bar closer to 80-20? You know, I haven't talked about it that way um, in the major gifts challenge to date. What my real goal is for people to start getting comfortable meeting with people and asking for money in a face-to-face personal way to significantly increase their annual fund wherever it is. Um, But it's something that I'm glad you raised. I hadn't put it that way before. Well, uh, maybe that will be the the next blog is to say, you know, (laughs) realistic goals. But um, is there a prize um, to, I mean, it's a challenge. Is there a prize? 
Yeah, well, the prize is, I joke about in the first blog post, that you'll be rich and famous if you do this. You'll be rich with donations, and you'll be famous at your organization. So the prize is major gifts, and that's a pretty big prize. Well, and I hope that uh, perhaps you'll, uh, uh, as that goes forward and you, you reach the one-year anniversary of the Major Gifts Challenge, maybe you'll you'll think of uh, bringing some of uh, uh, your winners or, or some of the case studies of those who have succeeded in the challenge. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll do a nonprofit coach radio show where you can sort of introduce them and they can talk about what they learned and, and, uh, and, and how they were successful and how did they measure success because obviously as we're pointing out here, there's a number of different ways uh, to measure success, but, but the bottom line is that, um, that uh, as I'm taking from this challenge, um, is that this is the year that you can't put this off. This is the year where you have to put a focus on, on individuals and, um, and that the major gifts for your organization are going to come likely from the database that you already have. Um, and, and I think that's always what's, what's so interesting for nonprofit organizations is that, uh, and I think you alluded to this earlier, is that you're sitting on money that you're not asking for. That this, isn't, that this isn't likely to be money. I'll say that's never happened, but it's not likely to be money that just comes from someone you've never met, you don't know, you have no relationship with. It's quite the opposite. Right. The growth of this funding is going to come from people who already know you. And, again, I'm going to apologize for some of the background noise here. Um, uh, it's one of the things of doing the show live and, and uh, having the uh, the windows open here in the U.S. so everybody who's watching the video uh, can uh, can enjoy the beautiful scenery in the in the background here. Um, but uh, it's staying focused on uh, the fact that um, you know, moving in this direction um, is not um, uh, a mystery. There there is a process that through your blog and through this challenge you're helping people understand. Right, and I just want to follow up on one point you made a minute ago, and that is there's no excuse this year because I'm offering this for free. There's no strings attached. Right, right, and and uh, and, and and if they were to hire you, they probably for a lot of smaller organizations who might take this challenge, uh, they probably might not be able to afford you. So uh, being able to spend the year with you um, on this blog, to spend this time with you, um, honing their own skills, but more importantly. Um, you know, even a few uh, major gifts can make such a difference in an annual giving campaign. And if you just think of it, um, if, if you work like like crazy to get ten one hundred dollar gifts, um, mm-hmm. and that, those would be wonderful gifts to come in through direct mail. Well, then you've raised a thousand dollars, and that's that's wonderful to have. But any one of those one hundred dollar donors, properly uh, researched and properly stewarded, um, could potentially become a $1,000 annual donor, um, in which case you, you, you just catapulted and doubled the amount of money that you raised uh, through your, uh, your annual appeal. That's right. So um, I think it's a great idea to come back. So any listeners who want to be the experts on Ted Hart's show, please come do the Major Gifts Challenge and we'll feature you. <laughs> yeah, feel, feel free to put that in your blog and let them know that uh, uh, part of the uh, rich and famous uh, I don't know if it's quite so much rich, but uh, the, the famous side of it is uh, that we, you and I, will plan a uh, a nonprofit coach radio show to highlight those that have succeeded, and that they'll have an opportunity to uh, uh, to tell their story and tell their successes, and also um, to tell those things that didn't work. You know, I, yeah. I think it's also equally important as you go through this process is everything that you touch is not going to be successful. It'd be nice if it was, um, mm-hmm. but through those failures, through those things that didn't work. Um, you further hone your capacity to be successful. That's right. Yeah, so I, uh, I'd be very happy to do that, and I think that would be uh, a terrific show. Um, so back back to the book, and, and I'm, I'm watching the time here, so we, we only have uh, about five, six minutes left uh, here together. Um, can you share with us the top three takeaways from this book? Because you, you covered so much uh, in the book, and, uh, and my listeners are going to want to go buy your book. Um, what are the three things that they, they maybe sort of should focus on and start with in working with their board and, and, and uh, changing the way that they raise money? All right. I think that if there were top three takeaways, um, and I said in the first chapter I list eight things to do, but it's making sure that your organization is running as optimally and smoothly with regard to fundraising as possible. So making sure that all the processes are in place to know for 
for sure that you're acknowledging your donors, that you have the technology uh, and the infrastructure that you need so that you can run a successful development shop. I think the second one is probably working with your board to make sure that they're engaged and involved in the fundraising process in an appropriate way. And the third probably is planning. I do have a chapter on making sure that you have a solid plan and ways to follow it to make sure that you're successful. There really isn't an awful lot of mystery and magic to fundraising success, is there? No, there's not. I mean, it it is a lot of common sense and follow-through. It's not easy. There's no magic wand, but um, it there is a process. What about setting realistic expectations? Because I, I think sometimes uh, where um, maybe less seasoned development officers sort of get talked into unrealistic goals and, and the organization, you know, feels like it's pushing people that it's paying a salary to, uh, but how, what message can you share for my listeners today uh, in terms of making sure that the organization is realistic about what it is that they have in their development professionals? Yeah, um, in terms of setting goals, I think a lot of organizations set goals in a backwards sort of way, which organizations have been doing for hundreds of years, and that is the fundraising goal is whatever the gap in the budget is. Right? What, they know what income's coming in, they know what they want to spend, and the gap is left for the fundraiser to raise. And that's not the best way, obviously, to raise a goal. And also, goals get set, you know, 5% more than last year, 10% more than last year, whatever the case may be. But what you really want to do, how you really want to set your goal is to look at the prospects you have, the prospective donors in terms of bulk mail, in terms of grant funders, in terms of the money coming in from events, and say, this is how much we think we can raise based on our prospect pool. And that's the best way to set a goal. And then if that amount is not enough to meet the gap in your budget, then you say, okay, we have to do other things too because we're not going to raise enough. But not being – yeah, go ahead. Well, you don't want to get to the end of your budget – um, and have the sole reason that the organization can't pay its bills is because fundraising didn't work. That's right. Um, it, it, it sort of has, you know, budgeting has to be a team sport. You know, there, there's lots of different sides to it. And yes, new income is great, but there's also a spending side that has to be watched. I, I want to run by you, but one of the the, um, the ways to set fundraising goals that, that I often share with folks is what I call the 70-20-10 rule. Um, and the 70-20-10 rule is, you, you start with 70% of the overall goal for your next year are those funds that you expect can be renewed. In other words, looking at your annual fund, your major gifts, um, those things that you regularly have done for several years that you have reason to believe are renewable. Now, there's no guarantee because they don't owe you the money, but sure. um, history would show you that that's renewable. And yep. then 20% of that goal are those prospects that you actually have started working with. In other words, the, the normal course of the work that you do, there are prospects that are in the pipeline that have not yet given, but that you have reason to believe that, that there is a gift there and that you can uh, grow your fundraising through, and that's 20% of the goal. And then 10%, and then you add, once you get all that number, add 10% for that new money, that money that's not yet been identified, but over a 12-month period of time, if you're doing your job, if you've got an integrated fundraising uh, program, there are going to be funds that are unidentifiable at the beginning of the year that do materialize during the year, but it's not 100%. Oh, that's um, great. So, I'm going to use that. I love that. So you, using that as a way to sort of create um, a model that is based in reality but also is a stretch um, so that your organization can see that, again, this isn't magic, uh, but those numbers actually came from somewhere. Right. Great. I love that. Great. You heard, you heard it here on the coach. So, um, <laughs> we're here at the end of the show. Uh, Amy Eisenstein, how can my listeners reach you? Uh, they can reach me through my website is probably the best way. It's www.tripointfundraising, all spelled out. So it's T-R-I-P-O-I-N-T, fundraising.com. Um, and my email is just amy, A-M-Y, at tripointfundraising.com. Terrific. And we do have a link to your site over at com. 
in the radio links today. Amy Eisenstein, another terrific show. Thank you for coming back here on The Nonprofit Coach. We look forward to having the uh, Major Gift Challenge uh, winners or all-stars, maybe we'll call them, uh, <laughs> later on in the year. So let us know when you're ready to uh, to book your all-stars, and uh, we'll share their great experiences here on The Nonprofit Coach. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Ted. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. We'll see you next week for our third anniversary show. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.